Welcome to C3 Church Tubra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. years, a little bit over that, man's been trying to work out what the church is. You know, 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, that was the birth of the church. And since then, we've all been trying to work out what is the church and how is the church supposed to function and what is the church supposed to be and are we supposed to sing hymns or songs or are we supposed to wear robes or not? Are we supposed to stand up or sit down? Are we supposed to come twice or once? Um, you know, we're all through the last 2,000 years, mankind's been trying to work it out. But really, Jesus said this. He said, two commandments I give you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you fulfill all the law. These two things. And I think in all our, you know, sometimes God must sit in heaven and just look at us, running around like little ants, trying to work him out, trying to work out the church. And basically he's just saying, if you learn how to love like my son loved, you'll get it right. You know, Jesus, that's all he wanted us to do. And if you have a look here in John 15, 13, it says this, Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you've got to understand when Jesus was saying this, here he is, he's about to, you know, be crucified and and come to the fulfillment of all that's going to happen. But he knows in his heart of hearts that he's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, and he's the mighty God. He knows that all of the earth should bow down and worship him because he is God in flesh. And he comes to his disciples and he tells them this, no greater love has a man than he who lays down his life for his friends. And he decides that he's going to show them what this love is that he is talking about, what this love looks like. Anybody want to know what love looks like? And so Jesus, he takes his robe off. He gets a bowl of water, he gets down on his hands and knees and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And he says, this is what love looks like. This is what love looks like. And I want to read you this from D.L. Moody about this verse and it says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, rose from supper, laid aside his garments poured water and began to wash the disciples' feet. What a strange thing to do. With all the power in heaven and on earth in his hands, Christ Jesus could have done so many other things. He could have done amazing deeds that could that we could not even imagine. He was and is the Lord of all human flesh, whose very essence and authority came from the Father. Nothing is beyond his grasp. Yet he kneels. And he puts his face down near those fishermen's feet. These are rough men, by no means gentlemen. So their feet were undoubtedly not clean, not perfumed. 
No socks here, open sandals, let in all the dirt and grime that the streets had to offer, as well as any diseases, blemishes and ugliness. The Son of God touches those feet. He does not shrink away from the gritty reality of humanity. He embraces the foulest and the most repugnant, repugnant to be found in man. What a strange Lord. His purposes are not what you would choose. He washes feet in order to show his deep and profound love. He does this to set an example for the disciples and for all men to follow. This is his love and example. The Lord of the church becomes the slave of the church and the glorious son humiliates himself at our feet. This is the heart of Christ's identity and work. He embraces the filth of humanity's sin. He takes the vilest transgression and is covered by the awful stench of human guilt. Love is not always beautiful. Sometimes it is filthy and stinky. As Christ showed his great love by washing dirty feet. So you must be ready to, uh, sorry, so you must be ready to endure the humiliation of true service. As Christ endured the cross, so you must be ready to suffer for the sake of love. As Christ gave himself to the point of death, so you must be ready to give your very life as a living sacrifice in whatever way your Father in heaven sets before you to do. D.L. Moody. John 17:34 says this, Jesus said this, a new, a new command, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, when we, when we speak about love, when we speak about this kind of love, we must understand that there's a difference between human love and divine love. When God's asking us to love one another, it's not out of our human love. How many of you know that our human love, for a start, is going to run out? There's not enough to go around. And that it is impure. Our human love is so impure. And it always has strings attached to it. Our human love will love if I get something out of it, or if I get, you know, if I get some acclaim out of it, or if I see some fruit out of it, I will love. But this is a different love that God's talking about. This is divine love. This is His love. And when we, when we read the word love in the scriptures, we're very limited in our English language. You know, in the Greek or the Hebrew, love has many meanings. Love has many interpretations. And where love is used in one scripture, it may have a different interpretation to love being used in another scripture. In these scriptures that I've written out right now, this love, the interpretation is from the Greek, is agape. Agape love. It's not filio love, as used in some other scriptures. Filio love is just like friendship. It's just like friendly affection. Jesus isn't asking us to love with filio love, with friendly affection. When he says, I want you to love one another, he's saying, I want you to love with agape love. Agape love. Agape, unconditional. Agape is um, deep commitment and deep devotion. Deep commitment and deep devotion, unconditional 
love. It's the love of God. And the only way we can love with this kind of love is allow first God to love us with this kind of love. And as we allow him to love us with this kind of love, as the walls get broken around us of religion that tells us we must perform, do you think that he was saying to the disciples, you need to jump through hoops before I wash your feet? What he was saying to the disciples, just as you are, just as you are, filthy, grimy, sinful, not understanding, just as you are, I come to wash your feet. This is the kind of love that I'm trying to show the world. I'm trying to show the world that this isn't performance orientated, that this isn't earning brownie points to get this. I'm trying to show the world this kind of love that is unconditional, that is, that is committed through the bad times, through the good times, through the rough stages of life. This love is committed to us. And no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are right now in your life, Jesus right now wants to wash your feet. He wants to come. The King of kings and the Lord of lords wants to come and bow down before you and wash your feet. And not only just wash your feet, but wash your soul and wash your mind and wash your heart and make him, make you like him. He wants the church to love as he loved. He doesn't really give a rip about our fancy songs and lights and in our fancy buildings or whatever, or if we stand up, sit down, we wear robes or not, he really doesn't care. Because he says he looks at the heart of man. He looks at the heart of woman. And he's looking for a heart that will, that will be in the same rhythm as his. He's looking for a heart that will go and wash the feet of humanity. But not just that, will wash the feet of each other. Yeah when we don't deserve it, when we don't deserve it, still wash, still love, still come. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. And you think of the word agape when I read this. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have agape, love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And have faith that can move mountains, but do not have agape love. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have agape love, I gain nothing. Agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Church, if we could somehow allow God to love us this way ourselves, if we could get before the glorious King of Heaven and say, Lord, love me like this, then when that love pours inside of us, we have no other choice than to pour it out on others. 
When we get a revelation of a love that surpasses all human understanding, of a love that covers our sin, of a love that covers our weaknesses, of a love that sticks with us through good times, bad times, of a love that that loves us, loves us through and through, that sees the core of our being and never judges what's happening on the outside. When we get a revelation of that love, we become the church. Because it's only with the revelation of that love and the pouring in of that love that we can actually, as he said, they will know that you are my disciples by your agape love for one another. They will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are like me. Jesus so much wants this world to know who he is. That he is not a religious building. He is not some other belief system. He is not some way that some people choose and other people choose other ways. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he is the only love that people search for. Love never fails. Never fails. It never fails. Agape love, unconditional love, comes from the Father into our hearts and then in turn into the hearts of those around us. I love that. When we first pioneered this church, I come straight out, virtually straight, almost straight out of a life of luxury. And, you know, I hadn't washed dishes for years. I was driven around in limousines in show business and stayed in exclusive hotels, had maids, had waiters. I mean, I'd lived a life of luxury. And um, then then I met Phil and... The rest is history. No, it went up, up. And, you know, I thought, I thought it was a big enough sacrifice just to, like, live in a normal house and not have long fingernails. I thought that was a huge sacrifice, you know, to cut my fingernails off so I could change nappies. And, you know, I thought I was doing really well, Luke. I thought I was doing really well. And then the Lord started to bring people along my path who were less than desirable. And they were coming into my world. And I'm thinking, I don't want to even touch these people. Like, I'm an upper class person. These are down here. And how does this work in the kingdom of God? And how do we balance all this up? And then when the, when the Lord, you know, began to speak to us about pioneering a church, you know, he had to do some work in this heart of mine. And... And I, I, it took me back to memories of my childhood. My mother and my mother were, you know, she would just bring in stray people all the time. We, we had six children. One of those was a foster child that we took in full time. And she had trundle beds under every bed. And the reason why she had trundle beds under every child's bed is so that she could bring the strays home. And we always had drug addicts. Um, you know, I'll be a child and there'll be a teenager sleeping next to me, a drug addict. You know, I'd keep one eye open all night. And they would rip us off. They would take our stuff. They, I came home one day, they took my record player. That's an old thing that plays. And all my records, all my vinyls. And you know how precious that is to a musician. And you know, everything, all my music. And it was like, mom, I'm screaming, mom. This drug addict has ripped us off. Why do you let these people into our house? And she goes, I don't care if they take everything that we have. 
Because there is nothing materially in this world that could count for the fact that they felt loved for one night. That they felt the love of a family and a home for one night. And they'll always remember that, Julie. Give them your record player. What does it matter? And, this is, and I used to always think, you know, these are only special people. These are only very rare people, like Mother Teresa. They're just born once every hundred years, my mother. And, you know, and if you're going to be like that, you have to be especially anointed and appointed and gifted and touched by God to love like that. But as we were starting to prepare to, to pioneer the church, God started to send people on my way and he started to test me out. And, you know, I won't tell you the stories because they were gross. But I had to, like, you know, I'd be driving along and there'd be like a bum on the side of the road, you know, a drunk, and he would say, you know, pick that bum up off the side of the road, put him in your car and go give him a meal. And, you know, this stinking, filthy person in my car. One day I picked up this old man and, and, in, and I had a station wagon. I had the three kids in the back and I had this station. Mum was with me, of course, because she went, pull over. And... <laughs> And this old man had fallen off his bike and his leg was all bleeding. He had these little shorts on like this. And mum says, put his parcels in the boot and we can just put him in the boot and he's, you know, in the station wagon and his bike and everything. Just put it all in there. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And as I'm putting his parcels in the boot, I'm realising they're rubbish, that he's just been going through the rubbish bins. And his leg's bleeding all over my car. I've got my three little kids in the car. I wouldn't, no, don't do this at home, people. And, um... Anyway, as he gets in the car, he puts his legs up like this and he's got no underpants on and everything falls out the side. And I'm like, Aah! and I just shut the door. And I'm going, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, God, this is bad. And um, anyway, we bought him a meal and got his leg patched up and took him home. And mum kissed him and cuddled him till he couldn't take any more. <laughs> I mean, and there were many stories like that where I'm just going, God. You know, I remember like cleaning someone's house for days on end, this, you know, it was just, just terrible. And, and I, I remember actually standing under the shower thinking, I would never feel clean again and crying, God, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. You can have it. You know, and God doing this work in my heart, making me face the reality that he loves the unlovable. He touches the untouchable. And he is there with people. So when we pioneered our church, because we pioneered right in the middle of a housing commission area and uh, 16 years ago, and it was crazy. I mean, we were getting so many people saved, but the majority of them were prostitutes and drug addicts and alcoholics. And, and we, we, it was just me and Phil and the kids and a couple of others, and we're trying to love them all. We're just, it was crazy, but God broke my heart. God broke my heart for people and he began to teach me how to love. And of course, after years, we moved over here and it, the congregation changed slightly, but that hasn't changed my heart, you know. That, that hasn't changed my heart and our hearts because this church, the core of this church and the, church, the core of any church has to be love. Right. It has to be love. It has to be agape, unconditional love. Amen? His love is unconditional. And I just want you to know that I'm still learning how to love. Oh, my gosh. I'm still learning how to love. I'm still learning how to love you. Don't judge me too harshly. I'm just a pastor. And we're just a pastor that's learning how to love like you're learning how to love. Amen? So if I don't smile at you at the door, don't, you know, give me death stares for three weeks. 
Just <laughs> unconditional love. Okay, agape. It's, it's unconditional. It's selfless. You know, there's not a lot of love around that's selfless, that you just would just, you know, just give, even, even if you get nothing out of it. Sometimes this love is unrewarded, unappreciated, and completely undeserved. How many of you have loved in this room and just been slapped in the face? I mean, you know what I mean? And not by your own wife, I mean, by... Well, sometimes that's true. Agape, unconditional, it's a great place to practice at home. You know, sometimes we just love and love and love and love and love and, and then you just don't see anything. But we're not supposed to. It's not the reason why we do this. It's not the reason why we love is to see results. The reason that we love is just because we're called to love. And that's up to God and people where that ends up. That's not our responsibility at the end of the day. This love endures sometimes for years. I mean, unless you've loved someone for years and years and years and years, and again, I take off my hat to my mother who was such a great teacher of this. And she, she, most mothers would do this, but she just loved her kids for years and years and years and years, and they would just do the most horrible things to her, and she just kept loving. You know, have you ever loved someone for years and years, and they just keep being rude to you? They just keep being horrible to you? There's been people in my life like that, you know, that you just keep loving, but, you know, then you get a glimmer of hope. Then sometimes you just get a little spark of, oh, okay. There's, a, there's something going in. There's something going in. Sometimes hearts are so hard that it takes a lot of love to break down those walls. And, and you, I always ask myself the question. I always ask myself the question, why are these people like this? You know, sometimes we, we have this thing, especially in church life, well, they're a Christian. They should just act differently. But you know, if a person has a need, a real need, we should never, ever deny them the meaning of that need and if they can't be real about their need if they have to put on a christian face and carry a big bible and pretend everything's okay then this is not the church because the church is the place to come and meet one another's needs to be transparent and real with one another and to share one another's hearts to share agape love to love each other back to life to love each other to love each other to love each other Amen? That's what the church is about. There was a, there's a story of Elisha in the Bible, Elisha the prophet, and he had granted this woman who had built him an upper, upper room and been good to him as a prophet. He said, anything you want, you can have it. She said, you know, well, I've never had a child and I'm old. And he says, this time next year you're going to have a child. She has this beautiful child. And Elisha goes off and he does this thing. You know, and this child's, you know, I think, I'm not sure how old he is. He's in the field with his father. He's a young boy now. And the child just drops sick and the father carries the child to the mother and the child dies in her arms. And she goes, she lays the child out on this bed and she runs to look for the prophet. You've got to come, you've got to come. And, you know, she won't take the, the stand-in prophet. She only have the one that gave her the promise. And he comes and goes up to this room and the child is laying on the bed. And he literally lays on the child says, you know, eyes to eyes, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, hands to hands. He lays on the child and he breathes the Holy Spirit into this child. 
And he gets up and the child doesn't come alive. And, and then he, he goes, no, I'm going to love this child to life. And again, lays there, eyes to eyes, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, hands to hands, feet to feet, and he breathes into the child. And the child sneezes seven times and comes alive. And you know what? There are some people that are so damaged, so hurt, so abused, so shut down, that it's going to take you literally pouring everything of God that's inside of you into them to love them back to life. And the danger in that is this, and I say to ones like Ruthie and those of you, others of you who have pastoral giftings, Candace and Luke, these pastoral giftings, these gifts to just want to love people and Cassie, you know, when you have those kind of gifts and you pour yourself out where literally there's nothing left, you must go away and get refreshed. He didn't keep pouring while he was on the child. He got off the child. I would suggest that he went to the corner of the room and say, Father, fill me again. Fill me. I poured out all of you. There's nothing of, see, otherwise what you do is you pour in yourself. And see, we can't raise the dead. We can't love like Jesus. No matter how loving and how nice we are, we can't love like Jesus. We cannot love like him. And so you walk away, you get refreshed, you come back, you lay yourself out again and you pour yourself out again. But if you just stay, keep pouring, 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 not only are you not doing any good, but you're probably doing harm because you begin to pour yourself out and yourself... You know, Smith Wigglesworth said this, you either give them life or death. If you give them Jesus, you give them life. If you give them yourself, you give them death. You're better off walking away and getting some life again than coming back and pouring life rather than pouring your death into them. Amen. You know, when we went to Thailand a few, quite a few years ago and we visited this orphanage with this lady here. Her name's Avis Rideout. And she, she's an amazing American woman. And she was in, in a hospital in Thailand visiting. And she saw in the corner of the hospital in Thailand a mat with a child laying on that mat, completely ridden with AIDS. I mean, they look awful when they're near the end. You know, there's just this seeping pus out of their eyes and everything. And she looked at this child and she couldn't take her eyes off this child. And she's saying to the person with her, why is that child laying alone on that mat? And it's dying and flies around and everything. And the lady said, the people in the hospital don't touch AIDS babies or AIDS children because they're scared of getting AIDS. So they're just leaving there. Now, this child's nappy wasn't being changed. It wasn't being touched. It wasn't being, it was just left to die. And so that night, she went back to the hospital and she made a deal with one of the nurses to get that baby out of there. She wrapped that baby up in a blanket and she cried over that little soul and she said, you're my child, I love you, I want you and I'm taking you home. And you, if you're going to die, you'll die in my arms, not in the corner of a room by yourself. And she took this child home expecting to die any moment. It lived and it lived and it lived. She just kept pouring love. She just got an old rocking chair, just sat in that rocking chair and just held that baby, kissed that baby's face covered that baby in love, and that baby lived. That baby, soon later, a little while after that, baby was declared AIDS-free. 
Not because of a miraculous healing, because a lot of babies, they can be born with AIDS from their mother, but they can grow out of it by the age of two. And people don't know this, and they just abandon them. And she said it was the love of God that loved that baby and gave that baby the will to live, to get to a place where it had its own immunity system. And so she couldn't take it anymore. She saw babies being dumped in garbage bins and, you know, just deserted on the side of the road. She opened an orphanage in Thailand for AIDS babies, and it's called Agape. The AIDS orphanage is called Agape Love, unconditional love. And she brings the babies in and she hires people. Um, she has thousands of children right now. She has 45 full-time workers who are paid to just cuddle. They're paid to just cuddle the children and the babies and love them back to life. Now, many of them die, but she says they die in the loving arms of someone that loves them and they know the love of the Father before they go to see his face. And she's the most amazing woman. And when we were there, I mean, Jillian and Andrew were with us then. They weren't in love then. They were only little teenagers back then. But you remember that day when we were at the orphanage and they came in with a new baby that they just found in the garbage tip. Newborn baby. And they, they just placed it on my chest. And I just, you know, like, do you know what that feeling is like? for a little child to be placed on your chest that nobody wants, that's been thrown in a bin, and it's just on my chest. And I said, oh, my God, teach us how to love. Teach us how to love like this. You know, the only problem that we have is that when we look at our brothers and sisters in the church, we don't see that they deserve that kind of love because we don't see the inside of them. We don't see the struggles that they have, that we don't see the reason why they react and they act the way they do towards us. But if we had the heart of God, if we had the love of Jesus Christ that would wash their feet no matter how they react to us, you know, not have this high expectation, you're a Christian, you should act like that. How should they act if they're a Christian? Really? You know, if, if someone is, is, if someone falls into water and they're drowning, what would we do? Would we stand on the side and say, oh, look at them. They're so needy. They, they need air so bad. Can't they just get over it? When someone has a need, they have a need. And, and that, you know, and we can say, oh, they're so attention seeking. I mean, they just need air. You know, but sometimes you're the only air that they can breathe. Sometimes your brother or your sister sitting next to you are the only ones that can pull you out when you're drowning and you need air. Sometimes you're the only person that could breathe into another soul and love them back to life. Sometimes you're the only person who could get someone out of the rubbish tin of life and put them against your chest and say, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you just the way you are. Sometimes you're the only person that will wash their dirty feet. And I'm not just talking about people outside the church because we've got to do it here first. How can we export something that doesn't work at home? We've got to love each other. Amen? It's good. We've just gone through, you know, a crisis in our church and, you know, we lost one of our sons to suicide, one of the sons of the church. And he was only saved nine months. And 
And he, he, you know, we believe that he's going to be with Jesus because I, I know God's grace. But what I have seen over the last few weeks in this church just makes me proud. It just makes Phil and I so blessed to pass to you as a church because since the day I saw the face of Jesus, that's how I was saved. And he looked into my eyes and I saw the face of love and I saw the eyes of love and I saw the way that he looked at me with his unconditional love and found the little hurting girl that was inside of me and brought me out. Since that day, I have looked for a church with love as Jesus loved. And I want to tell you this, I found it. You may not be perfect, you lot, but I'll tell you what, you make me cry the way you love. You know, when I talk about the church has been trying to work itself out and what should the church be, I think we're getting it. We're getting it. We're not great at it. We never will be till we go home to be with Jesus. But we're getting it. And I saw through this crisis, I saw young people supporting young people. I saw them hanging out together and speaking into each other's lives, holding each other's arms up. I saw the leaders of this church rise to the occasion and tonight you know we have a um an outstanding leadership gift to give to jamie and garth having a service off this morning they don't know about it because we just wanted to say guys outstanding outstanding leadership to get that that whole youth group through that crisis amazingly with love and patience and marty such an amazing job with the youth Candice and Luke, the Yars, you know, many of the Yars were um, affected. You guys are the best pastors, the best hearts. You know, I just watch the way you're loving and nurturing people. And this is the kind of church that we have longed to build. It's happening. You know, Cassie, the love that you have, Ruth Schofield, over and above, over and above. I mean, Lisa Phillips isn't here. She's having a break today as well. But Lisa Phillips is probably the biggest mama heart this church has. And she's shone through this. You know, there's others. So I'm sorry if I haven't mentioned you, but then there was the generations. Then there was like, not the ones that are leaders, but coming and saying, hey, I've got a heart for this one, or I've got a heart for that one. Do you know what it feels like to be a pastor and to carry the weight of the pain of a whole church when it's going through? a situation that we just went through, to carry the pain of young people losing their best friend, carry the pain of a father losing his son or a mother losing her son, to carry the pain of brothers and sisters hurting, to carry the pain of leaders confused and wondering if they did something wrong and trying to fix all that. But then having people come to you and say, you know what, don't worry about that one because I've got that one. Don't worry about that one, I've got that one. Don't worry about that one, I've got that one. And all of a sudden, it's like the weight begins to shift because now it's not on the, on the shoulders of one man or one woman to carry this, but it's on the shoulders of a church who knows how to agape love. It's on the shoulders of a church who will reach out beyond their pain, beyond their own pain, beyond their own suffering, beyond their own comfort zones and say, I want to do this. You know, Jeff McManus came up to me last week and there was one of the boys that I was worried about. 
and I've been praying and I'm just going, God, God, God. And Jeff comes up to me and goes, you know that one? I may not be able to reach all of them, Pastor Julie. I may not be able to help with all of them. But you know that one? He's mine. You leave him with me. He's fine. He's going to be fine. And I just went, my God, you know. And Phil Cairns, you know, one of the boys came up to me, Phil, a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know, I knew we had a great church. I knew we had a great church. I knew it was an amazing, I knew we had a great youth group. But for me to walk into church and Phil Cairns, who hardly knows me, because I'm a youth and he's a mature, middle-aged man, to come up to me and, and speak into my life like a father and speak me back to life, he said, do you know what that meant to me? And he's got tears in his eyes. You know, I see on Facebook, I see on Facebook, I love looking at Facebook to see what you people are doing with each other. And I smile as I go through all the Facebook updates. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, do you know you're amazing? Do you know you're an amazing person? And then there's about 15, like, 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 like. Like Lisa Phillips, Jamie said, Lisa, do you know you're amazing? Do you know that you've got the biggest heart and after 13 years of serving the Lord with you, you know, you just, I love you. And this is, a, and, and then like, 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 like all the people from the church, you know, just encouraging one another, loving one another at every angle that we can in connect groups. When I hear the reports of connect groups, you know, they're just going through the roof and I hear reports back of, of people just sitting around. In, now, when I heard that last Yars one, you know, and I hear, you know, the gifts of the Spirit operating in the connect group. When I hear ones like Jonathan Addison, who's sitting up there behind multimedia and you think that's all there is to this guy, and yet he gets in a Yars connect group and begins to prophesy accurately over people and wipes them out. And, and Bree, what is that? And I know when Bree and Jonathan came into our church, you know, we're just, they'd come from a church that was fairly old people and they'd been embraced by the old people and brought into their homes to eat meals and, and, you know, but they were moving into this area and it was really hard for them to leave that because they had such a community of love, even though it wasn't spiritually what they needed at that time. And they came into our church and said, we just, we want the spirit of God, but we want the community. And I just hope this church, and I said, I hope this church can give it to you too. I really do. And now I look at them and they're just not just part of the community, they are building community. You know, they're sowing into others' lives and they're on Facebook encouraging people. And this is the church. This is the church. <laughs> you know what blesses me the most? That you people are pastoring each other. You know, that we're just, we're up here, yeah, we're the leaders of this church, but, you know, it was you who were supposed to do the work of the ministry. And you're doing it. And you're not doing it because we said you have to. You're not doing it because we put some great systems in place that do pastoral follow-up and so forth, although we have those. But it's happening organically. And it's happening because of the agape love that is in this church. And with all my heart, with all our hearts, we want to congratulate you. We want to say, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, precious people of God. 
We may not have it exactly right, but boy, are we getting there. And if you're new to this church, I pray that you'd be embraced by the love of this place and feel the agape love in this house. And this is my last closing scripture. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1 to 4, this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to the church, to the church in Thessalonians. Grace and peace be to you from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say to the church in Wyong, grace and peace to you from the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the pers- in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. In 2 Thessalonians 1-3, to we always thank God for you, all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last scripture is this, Galatians 6-9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's stand to our feet, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Let's be.